There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome back, fight fans. This is your host, Alden Kodash of the Fight City Podcast. I'm going to be joined by Zachary Alapi today, who exclusively covered the Four Aces card at Quebec City yesterday. Last night, we had Eves Ulysses with an impressive knockout over Matthew Germain, and we had Steve Claggett on the undercard, impressive as well. So, um, where should we begin, Zach? I mean, I think what's kind of interesting to talk about first is just like the format of the uh, the tournament a little bit because it mm-hmm. harks, harks back to the um, the super six uh, super middleweight tournament, which we haven't seen in a while. You know, we've seen other kind of like round robin things, maybe a little bit or informal round robins, but this one is like these guys are locked in for like a year in this mm-hmm. tournament. And so you got four guys, they each fight each other once. And like okay. the Super Six, you have um, that point system. So uh, in in their stoppage wins last night, Claggett and Ulysses earned uh, three points for those victories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germain threw obviously nothing. Uh, decision would be two points, draw one point, uh, so on and so forth. So they each fight each other once, it's required. And then the guy with the most points goes right to the final and the two uh, guys in the middle fight in the semifinal. Uh, the one with the least amount of points is the odd man out. And, mm. uh, and, and then, then, and then the two guys fight in the semifinal bout to, to fight the top guy. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, like we've seen uh, like the top rank bubble and things like that. And I guess like what people need to you know, know about the Canadian fight scene, which is probably self-evident is that there's not nearly as much money involved um, <laughs> and, and, and resources and the public health guidelines for stuff like this, especially with combat sports have been very, very strict. Um, and so I really like it because it forces some creative domestic matchmaking, which we don't get enough of in mm-hmm. Canada, especially for divisions where we have more talent, you know, like light heavyweight for whatever reason, and then junior welterweight, which is obviously this tournament. And so it's nice that we kind of get to see these fights that we've kind of like, for those of us here, have been talking about for a while. Yeah. Um, and the other thing too is that, you know, like I know Alden, like you're more familiar with Evilus. He's been on HBO, he's fought in the States a, a few times, uh, yeah. he's had some good wins. But even him, like none of these guys have really proven that they deserve to be serious contenders yet. You know, that uh, Claggett and Ulysse have kind of flirted with it. So I feel like they're all kind of in this definitely outside top 15, even though some have like gotten some sanctioning body rankings at, at various points. So they kind of need to someone needs to to emerge from this pack, right, to actually be a real contender. And yeah. so it makes sense to match all of them um, and, and just see who emerges as the best of the bunch, because realistically, I don't think all of them should get to that level. Right. But it's interesting, though, because most of these fighters have already fought each other at least once. Uh, Ulysses and Claggett have mm-hmm. had two fights. They split two fights against each other, uh, of course, uh a lot of us are still excited about seeing a third fight between yeah. them. And I know Claggett has, has fought Jermaine, I believe, yeah. in the past as well. Uh, aren't these guys a little eager of kind of getting out of this sphere and, and expanding their horizons into the domestic, well, when I say domestic, I mean the U.S., the United yeah. States fight scene? Absolutely. I think, though, um, 
you kind of have to look at where they were right before the tournament started. Mm -hmm. So if we go kind of through them like one by one through, he was promoterless. So he just jumped at the opportunity because it was three mm. guaranteed fights for solid money, you know? Yeah. Um, and if he pulls an upset or two, who knows? He used to be with Eye of the Tiger when he was younger, then lost a couple of times, was released. So maybe he gets a contract again, right? Uh, Germain had uh, had the draw with Claggett, and then he had that um, upset stoppage loss to Uriel Perez, who we saw in DAZN a little while back getting knocked out in the first round by I forget who. So he, he was in big need of like you know kind of building himself back up uh Ulis, i mean he laid a total egg against ismail barroso i don't know if you mm. saw that fight but it was a saw really clipped. really really yeah, it was a disappointing performance. performance a lot of uh a lot of inactivity in the middle rounds it seemed like he gave that one away totally uh just really passive he tried to kind of fight this really cute you know kind yeah. of technical fight throwing one shot at a time and moving a lot and he just totally got outworked. He was never hurt or in danger, but he just simply got outworked. Um, so he was called out publicly by his promoter and, um, and 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 didn't take too kindly to that and doesn't really want to be in the tournament, but is kind of, I think, using that as motivation to maybe try to really run the table impressively. Um, and Claggett just signed with Eye of the Tiger, and then he had an injury um, yeah. after his first fight with the promotional outfit. So he was kind of in a no-man's land where... He's one of those guys who's maddening to fight because his work rate is so high and he's got great stamina and, and a good chin. Um, so, you know, he kind of was in a position where, you know, if he if he wins this thing, then they can, you know, sort of shop him around for much, much bigger fights. So you're right. They have fought each other in various combinations, but in some ways, none of them had a choice, especially we can't really bring opponents into Canada because of travel restrictions. Mm. And this is the only one who had any sort of like co-promotional pact, you know, with Golden yeah, with, Boy. Yeah, with right? Golden Boy. Yeah, so, that, that was what I was going to ask next is given his co-promotional pact, um, did he not feel at liberty to explore some of Golden Boy's options? I, I really view a guy like Ulysses as a guy who's just asking to score an upset at some point. I mean, he has all yeah. the ability, and it looks like he's able to turn it on on any particular night. Consistency is where he might fall short, though. I agree. I, I mean, I think with him, the problem was just the Barroso fight, really. Like, he was sort of being led in that direction, and if, that and if he had won that fight, and especially if he looked good— you know, there's no way we'd be talking about him in this tournament. So, I, you know, I'm not privy to what kind of discussions went on with, with Golden Boy after that, but I think mm. the fact that uh, he's ended up in this tournament, and, you know, Camilla, Stefan, and I, the Tiger, they have a very close relationship with Golden Boy, you know, through David Lemieux, right? Yeah. Um, so what I, what I imagine is Golden Boy is like, well, if we're going to, like, actually invest in trying to get this guy a big fight in the States, like, you got to do something with him after this, like, lame duck of a performance, you know? I, I can't say for sure, but it, it seems likely, you know? Yeah, I mean, getting a string of victories uh, mm -hmm. against Claggett and and um, against Thoreau, et cetera, I mean, that's... It's, it's names on the record, you know? Exactly. It, it's, and I mean, it's, getting a, it's getting a streak going. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, obviously a lot can go wrong with term, tournament formats like this, but let's assume for a second it doesn't. It keeps him active, you know, for like... Yeah a year you're getting four or five fights depending on your path to the final right and i can't see him not making the final to be honest with you yeah. um so so yeah i mean it, you're right i he think he's got a style that could give a lot of guys problems if he switched on um and you know i guess it's a good segue into the to the, the actual fights from last night because it was really interesting because in the francophone media 
Um, this isn't exactly um, a favorite. Uh, he's very like, you know, um, mercurial. He, he doesn't like to give interviews. A lot of people find his attitude comes off as like dismissive and stuff. And mm. I was shocked, frankly, at how many were picking Germain to win. Uh, <laughs> like it, it was really, really surprising. And I think, you know, that definitely served as motivation for him. So basically what happened in the fight was, you know, at least missed a press conference earlier in the week. Germain had some words that were, you know, uh, not exactly kind in his direction. Mm. And I think there's been some bad blood brewing between these guys for a little while now. You know, they've known each other for a long, long time. And the first five rounds were entertaining, but they kind of had the vibe of a very, like, more of like an intense sparring session where you just kind of felt like this was, he was trash talking him. He was just kind of like showing that he couldn't really do anything, you know, as opposed to turning it up uh, his own offense. But he was, he was much more active and coming forward at mm -hmm. the same time. Then in the sixth round, he just decided to switch gears. And that's the thing we'd kind of been wondering about with him is like, you know, he boxes well, but sometimes he just does enough to win rounds instead of really going for that impressive finish. And once he changed gears in the sixth, I mean, the separation was 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 impressive. Uh, he started to uh, back Germain up even more, really unload the combinations, throw harder punches, sit down on his shots more. In the seventh, he knocked him down with a really nice combination, started by mm. a, right, a right hook, uh, put him down for a second time. Germain looked like he'd hurt his leg a little bit on the second knockdown, but I mean, it was over from that point, you know? Yeah, I'm looking through his box rack, and this is the first stoppage he scored since 2017 against yeah. Zach Ochoa. So, yeah. um... Yeah, certainly a way to get on the map is to score highlight reel knockouts. Hopefully more of these get televised to the mainstream boxing public. Uh, I've yet to see his fight on YouTube. I'm hoping to. Yeah, um, that's the thing because it was such an impressive performance and like a really just dynamic stoppage that it would be good to get that out there. You know, that's yeah. definitely part of the process of building a guy like him back up, you know, because I think that. You know, a lot of uh, pundits or like, you know, uh, people, uh, matchmakers and stuff in America, like, why not write him off after that Barroso loss, right? Like, he's from Canada. He, uh, he's he got like a kind of slick defensive style. Like, why would you want to have anything to do with him, you know, uh, yeah. after a performance like that? So they need to to, to use this as, as a springboard for sure. And I mean, the other thing, too, is that, uh, you know, they were actually trash talking after the fight, too. Like, this was he was not smiling. <laughs> even after the win, like he, there, there's a big chip on his shoulder. I don't think he's happy with his promoter. He's definitely not happy with the media. He's here to like seek and destroy. But I think yeah. in terms of like his progression as a fighter, um, that's actually a good thing because mm. this with a mean streak, that's kind of the one thing that's been, been missing. And I don't know if, um, if you'd heard about this, but he, he's now training with John Scully down in oh. Hartford, um, who, who wasn't able to actually be in his corner for the fight because of the, uh, travel restrictions, yeah, yeah. travel restrictions. And he would have had to quarantine for 14 days before and after. And he, mm. Uh, could not do yeah, that. He's, he's got a business. To, to other fighters, you know, and stuff yeah. in his business, right? But he, this had been down there for, you know, a couple of months, and Scully had gotten him great sparring. And this, you know, he was on the Canadian national team for a while. He fought at two world amateur championships. He's fought a lot of, you know, good fighters and been in a lot of good gyms. But I think he really needed this. He needed to, like, go to gyms in the States where no one, like, knew him or respected him um, and just kind of go through the gauntlet in places like that and he said you know in, in the few interviews that he did give that it was really what he needed in terms of he was treated like absolute shit by the other fighters in the gyms he was in until he until he made them respect him yeah 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, and that's the thing Scully was talking about. He's like, I don't need to correct anything technically with Eve. I don't need to teach him anything as a boxer. It's all mental with him. And yeah, like, I get that killer instinct out. Exactly. I could see that. So this was a good start for that. So it shows that that partnership, even with Scully not being able to be there, um, might be exactly what this guy needs. Um, yeah. And being 32, you know, he's getting towards that age where it's kind of a uh, fight or flight. He's got to make oh, a move yeah. and, and force his way into the into the main picture sooner than later. Exactly. He's an interesting case, too, because he only started boxing around like 19 or 20 and mm-hmm. was on the Canadian team till I think 25 or 26. So turned pro a bit later. Yeah. Doesn't have as much mileage on him. But still, you know, like for a guy who relies on his movement and reflexes, like, you know, now's the time to uh, uh, to make that big move. And and actually, you know, with Ulysses' performance, it was kind of making me think of another Canadian guy who who uh, who was on the big stage finally as Custio Clayton. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw this fight with Lipinets, but yeah, he, he really emerged in that fight. Yeah, yeah, he just, you know, in the sort of post Pascal Lucien Boutte era, Ulysses and Clayton were the two guys from from our amateur system who we thought these are the guys who are talented enough to like at least fight for a world title at some point. Yeah. And it took them kind of longer to get there for various reasons with Clayton. I think it was more like mismanagement and some promotional issues. Um, Ulysse kind of got some of those opportunities earlier and mm. with Barroso like dropped the ball and then Clayton finally got it and, and did very well. And I think yeah. could have done even better if he maybe trusted himself a little more in the early rounds. Um, even though I still thought he won the fight in the close fight. Mm. But the point I'm trying to make is that like, if Ulysse doesn't get to the level that we just saw Clayton at, his career will have been a disappointment by our, by like our standards, you know, cause we feel the talent is there. Um, and, and so it was good to see Clayton do so well. And I still feel like Ulysse can do it and winning this tournament, I think will 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 put him in position to get the, the kind of fight Clayton got, uh, you know, a, a month and a half ago or whatever it was. So he's locked in until how many, um, uh how many months how many years uh, i mean so this is the thing like they want to try to do the tournament in a pretty brisk manner i hope brisk, brisk manner like w- within 12 months they want the whole thing to be over and that would okay. be like four, four to five fights depending you know so like we're talking about a card every two to three months it's activity yeah it's activity that a lot of guys uh unless they're hooked up with the right promotional network and uh organization aren't getting and I think the good thing about it is that it's activity against at least like respectable opposition, you know, um, especially Claggett. Like if we get two Claggett Ulysse fights, like <laughs> let's say either guy wins both of those. I mean, that, that that's like a good statement that shows that you're that you're a contender, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it's unclear exactly when the next card is going to be scheduled. Obviously we got to see like what happens with COVID cause that could change everything. Right. Um, but it, ass- assuming they're allowed to keep holding these cards, cause I know public health has been pretty impressed with how I, the Tigers done things. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully I'm hoping like February or early March, at least mm-hmm. we'll see the next one. Um, and, uh, and sort of take it from there. But in the uh, in the other the co-feature there, Claggett, yeah, Steve Claggett versus uh, David Thoreau, put on a great fight. I mean, the the way this one sort of looked to me is, you know, Thoreau hasn't been as active or had the you know same kind of caliber of opposition recently. You know, by virtue of not having a promoter, he 
came out and sort of blew his load in the first four rounds trying to hurt Claggett. He knew that they fight similar style, very aggressive, like to brawl on the inside. But I think he knew that over 10 rounds, he wouldn't be able to keep the pace. Um, so he just went for broke early. And I'd say it was an even fight through four rounds. Mm-hmm. I think Claggett started to take over in the fifth and then just totally dominated the sixth round had through pinned in a corner for most of it hurt him with a couple of body shots and you could just see through his output dropped by like 80 percent within mm. the space of a round and a half was taking some big shots still on his feet but i think knowing the tournament format the corner opted to pull him out save him from a lot of punishment knowing that he has a couple of opportunities and one win probably puts him in a semi-final fight you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so I think it was good in that sense, but Claggett looked really impressive. I mean, he's always been one of those guys who has like a, you know, 80 to a hundred punches around kind of work mm. rate, always coming forward, very good at cutting off the ring, aggressive, takes a really good punch and just never stops uh, kind of master at forcing guys to fight his fight. Um, and that's exactly what we saw here. Not that Theroux had to be convinced, you know, too much to fight that kind of fight. Um, but he's done the same with uh, Germain and Ulysse and all the times they've fought. And those guys like to box and move a lot more. But against Claggett, they've been forced to stand their ground and just throw a lot more punches than they're typically used to throwing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I kind of view Claggett as the most consistent fighter in the field. And I hesitate to say, like, the outright favorite, but with Ulysse, he's the wild card, right? Because you don't know which version of him is going to show up. I think the version of Ulysse from last night would be the favorite. But Ulysse is a little more passive. He's, you know, Claggett's like a perfect foil for him, you know? Uh, So I see them as making the finals. um, But if this really aggressive kind of nasty Ulysse shows up, he's never been able to really separate himself from Claggett in two fights. They've both been close. I think we could maybe, maybe see him separate himself from Claggett if he, if he brings this kind of nasty into their, into their next fight. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we get a definitive uh, finale to their, their trilogy will probably turn into a quadrilogy, but um, yeah, hoping for some more great fights. Speaking of which, I'll bring your attention to two of the biggest fights for December. Recently, Canelo Alvarez has uh, made his fight against Callum Smith official. Uh, but in a couple weeks from now, we have Danny Garcia and Earl Spence fighting in the AT&T arena. A lot of big fights in Texas in December. <laughs> Bigger stadiums, yeah. uh, opportunity to get to get crowds. And, you know, meanwhile, top rank is stuck in the bubble. <laughs> Yeah, what's the rule with crowds in Texas right now? All the- well, I know in amateur boxing it's 20% maximum capacity. I'm not sure if they follow anything similar in the professional realm. Okay. But, you know, when you've got these huge arenas, the Alamo Dome in San Antonio for Canelo Smith, got the AT&T Center, you got, you got some room to play with mm-hmm. um, in terms of social distancing. So, you know, some of these, these names could capitalize on uh, – uh, uh, box office attractions and right. uh, gain a little more revenue that way. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's it's interesting because that's the one thing that with the with the fights we were just talking about, you know, based on where they were held, like we would have expected <coughs> kind of nice gates of five, six thousand people, which you know, for like a non-title fight in Canada is pretty good. Mm. Um, and and so losing out on that is really unfortunate. Um, but I guess it's nice that we're able to get that to an extent as, you know, hopefully it can be done. It continues to be done 
relatively safely, I guess. I, I don't know how it's been going with the bigger crowds in the States, to be honest, yeah. but like at sporting events at least. But yeah, because with some of these big fights, like you need that live gate, right, to, to realistically make it happen. Yeah, or else some guys just, uh, <laughs> they're just leaving too much money on the table, unfortunately. Uh, but in terms of predictions, how do you see the Earl Spence and Danny Garcia fight going down? Oh, man, I mean, with Spence, it's like, th- th- this will obviously be his first fight after the car accident. Huge right? wild card there. And that's the big wild card, you know? Like, I think, I, I like Spence to win. Uh, I like Spence to win a decision. But at the same time, I mean, it's just, we just can't really know how that how that's actually impacted yeah. it. We don't know how his reflexes are going to be since then. Uh, we don't know how he takes punches yeah. since then. I mean... I hope not, but we could be looking at a very different fighter. And Danny Garcia is uh, a test for him, even at 100%. He's a mm-hmm. he's a consummate professional, very good fighter. And if there is something lacking in Earl Spence come December 5th, I think Garcia might uh, exploit that. I agree. I mean, I think that uh, to, to me, like, you know, if we didn't have that variable to consider, I would my pick would be Spence by unanimous decision. Yeah. Um, I think he'd kind of like start to rough him up, get on the inside, really work the body, yeah. make him uncomfortable. Um, I assume I'm, I'm going to I'm going to assume that he can still do that. But I think like actually uh, a, sor- a sort of if I was going to make like a safer bet, I, I could almost see like a, a split or majority decision. Yeah, if his reflexes aren't there, I mean, yeah. Spence is not the fastest guy in the world at his best. He's extremely well schooled, extremely strong. Yeah. But uh Danny Garcia might be able to find plenty of openings if, if there's some kinks in his armor uh, since the accident. I wonder, too, if, you know, the way Spence loves to go to the body, if those reflexes are, you know, have been damaged by the accident, if Garcia can really maybe catch him upstairs with one of those, like, dynamite counter left hooks that he's so good at throwing, you know, and, yeah. like, maybe even hurt him. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's something I would worry about Uh from Spence's uh, on Spence's end, but yeah, I mean, uh, serious dental work was done, you mm-hmm. know, earlier this year, which feels like forever ago, but he was slurring his speech in certain interviews that was raising a lot of alarms. Uh, you know, he's been relatively quiet in the pre-fight, mm-hmm. you know, this fight you think, uh, in normal circumstances, we'd be hearing plenty of trash talk from both sides, but mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's been a pretty modest buildup to a pay-per-view event. Uh, I know a lot of diehard fans are going to buy it, like myself, and uh, I'm, I'm sure plenty of more casual fans will as well. But I yeah. was expecting, uh, you know, a little more fireworks in the build-up to this fight. Yeah, same. It's, it, it really has flown under the radar in many respects. You know, it's like <laughs> when, when you brought it up, like, a, you know, when you brought up Canelo, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I heard the news recently. Yeah. It had actually just completely slipped my mind that Spence Garcia was coming, <laughs> coming up <laughs> until you mentioned it, which is kind of strange. But um I I don't know. In some ways, I feel like we know what we we know what we can get from Garcia, right? And with Spence being such a wild card, it's like I almost hesitate to pick him. Even <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. Where 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 do, where do you fall with that? Like how 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 much stock are you putting in that wild card aspect versus like you know what you know Spence can do or has done in the past? I. Well, I, I've kind of given up on predicting fights ever since <laughs> a, a series of humiliating uh, predictions this this year post-COVID. Uh, there's just so many factors that uh, could impact this fight one way or another. I mean, Spence, is, he's been inactive uh, more so than Danny Garcia. 
Uh, he's been inactive, plus the horrendous injury might introduce some new um, some new weaknesses. Uh, he's not the quickest fighter in the world at his best. I think Danny Garcia's uh, hand speed and experience mm-hmm. might have uh, given him some problems uh, at his best to begin with. I mean, Danny Garcia is a guy that could have easily... Uh, he was a round or two of being able to defeat Keith Thurman and Sean Porter, uh, both two naturally much bigger guys than him. I mean, Danny Garcia yeah. started at 140. Sean Porter was an amateur at 165. Keith Thurman at 152. Uh, these mm-hmm. are big power punching welterweights, and he held his own with both of them. You know, both uh, both beat him via close decisions. Uh, Danny Garcia is one of the best welterweights in the world. This is going to be a test. And if Earl Spence could pass it with flying colors, you know, I think everybody's going to be screaming for the fight with Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford might be a free agent as early as October, 2021. You know, a lot of interesting things can happen. You know, a lot of people kind of forgot about Spence versus Crawford for a while. I mean, it just became Mm -hmm. such a dull reality uh, that these two promotional parties aren't going to be able to work together to make this fight that, you know, people kind of gave up on it and moved on to other fights like Teofimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this fight might be live again. Uh, Terrence Crawford just pulled off a, a great performance, and uh, yeah. we'll see what Earl Spence has right now. I hope he has enough left to uh, finally give the fans what they want. And mm-hmm. One of the, the big fights to make, probably the biggest fight that you can make in this point in the game. I mean, the th- it's interesting, right? Because we can't just kind of take anything for granted here. And I think that the the fight, first and foremost, is is to prove that Errol Spence still has it. You know, yeah. and I only say that because of what he went through physically. It's a scary litmus test because yeah. Danny Garcia is a excellent fighter, and and you got to consider that Errol Spence, at his best and his career best performance, just squeaked by Sean Porter, won a split decision. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and stylistically there, there there's so many differences obviously between yeah. uh garcia and porter but you know you know with with porter it's like he's he's so aggressive and he's very effective with that oftentimes will kind of like sm- can you know can smother a lot of his own uh his own work i would just wonder like with garcia's precision and like you know the ability to throw like some really like crisp and clean like one twos one two threes yeah. with that big left hook if, like you said, if Spence is just a split second late with those reactions, like he could be in a lot of trouble. It's going to be a very interesting fight, a lot more interesting than Tyson Jones next week. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping no one gets hurt there. But let's oh, uh, let's close out with the Canelo Callum yeah. Smith fight. You know, this is uh, a matchup that I was craving for right after Callum Smith destroyed Hassan Nadan and Jigum. <sighs> uh, you know, Smith looked like fire in that fight. He was yeah. dynamite. And then ever since he fought John Ryder, his, the, the flame kind of dwindled and uh, yeah. people really stopped uh, thinking about this fight as much. Um, you know, I'm predicting a Canelo victory. He's giving up some significant <laughs> height and, and range to Callum Smith, but, you know, he's been able to close the gap against guys like Sergey Kovalev, who I think are more, uh, are, are, are more adept at using, uh, their uh, their size uh, and distance uh, to their advantage than Callum Smith right now. I mean, I, I saw Callum Smith giving up distance against John Ryder when he really shouldn't have been. Maybe to some extent that was because of the southpaw element that John Ryder introduced to, um, to Callum Smith. I mean, some guys just aren't good at fighting southpaws. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the man that I saw in there against John Ryder, uh, I would not give a great shot against Canelo Alvarez. 
Yeah, same. I mean, I'm happy the fight's happening because just in terms of like, you know, titles, stakes on the line, like rankings, it's super middleweight. Like these are the kind of fights that I want to see Canelo in, you know, especially if he has like more room now to excuse yeah. me, pick, pick and choose opposition. Oh, it's crazy um, because he was trying to get the fight with Callum Smith and, and <laughs> DeZone and Golden Boy were in the way of that apparently. And now he's mm-hmm. a free agent and this is his first fight within days of uh, divorcing himself. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so that's, that's good in and of itself. I mean, in terms of how they match up, Callum Smith has a lot of torso for Ke- for Canelo to, to, oh, yeah. to bang, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I think that the John Ryder fight, um, you know, if anything, it showed that maybe maybe Smith is going to, his kryptonite might be guys who are that compact, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Canelo's a way better boxer, obviously, than, uh, than John yeah. Ryder is. Uh, not, not taking anything away from Ryder. I think he proved a lot in that fight. But... Yeah, you know, I just think that after seeing that Canelo being as smart as he is with that great upper body movement, uh, great com- great throwing combinations and picking his shots too, especially to the body. I mean, I just see I see it being kind of like an int- I, I, the thing that intrigues me about this fight is just to watch how Canelo eventually is going to break him down because that's the way I see it going. I see kind of like a late-ish round stoppage, similar uh, to what he did to his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Exactly. And that's I an just, interesting narrative, though. I mean, oh, for Callum sure. will be fighting to avenge his brother, and Callum has some explosive punching power. I mean, if you watch his fight against George Groves, some of those punches just came out of left field and just had Groves on Queer Street ready to go right off, uh, right off the contact. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the thing that we know about Canelo, great as he is, is that. You know, no matter who he's fighting, you can see guys have some success early, like hit him. He's got such a great chin. Right. But, you know, like Amir Khan hit him flush early. Uh, obviously, well, Golovkin's, you know, uh, was 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 much better regarded fighter than Khan when they fought. But you know what I mean? Like he, he, he you can get to him. You can get to Canelo. He's just so good at like taking punches and standing his ground and firing back that I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Smith have some success early with that range. Yeah. But I think Canelo is just going to figure him out and, and, and figure out how to get the fight at the distance that he wants eventually. Um, and, and he hits so hard uh, that, uh, that that's going to start to take its toll. And he, he's more than smart enough to know that he's got to dig to that body against a guy like Smith. Yeah. And uh, a victory against Smith would give him a legitimate title at 168, set him up for plenty of other big fights at 168, a lot more fights that he has access to. I mean, the fight with Caleb Plant was being discussed before the Smith fight was finalized. Yeah. Uh, he can fight David Benavidez if he can still make 168. Um, you know, plenty of other fights uh, that he's open to now that he is a free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think he'll make another appearance at 175? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, maybe against a Dimitri Bivol. You know, honestly, like I think I, I I could see that at some point. I think that um, you know Canelo is smart enough to uh, uh, to to not pursue someone like an Arthur Beterbiev at one seventy five. Yeah, and Bivol could is has been on record saying he could still make one sixty eight. Exactly, I could totally see that fight happening, especially. Uh, at, 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 for a light heavyweight title, because you know yeah. historically it would have you know it would be yet another feather in Canelo's cap, having yeah. you know had that had that win over Sergey Kovalev, and Bivol not being like the biggest light heavyweight, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm excited for this phase of Canelo's career because 
to have that freedom, I mean, he's clearly established himself as the, you know, cash cow in all boxing and its biggest star. You want him to be in the position where he can, you know, jump around between networks, uh, take the best fights, fight the best guys. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think B-Ball would fit right into that kind of plan in the next, like, year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to see B-Ball again as well. <laughs> yeah. One also, of guys with, with that... Bevel, one of those things I was seeing, a lot of people are saying that some of those wins he had, you know, the shutout of Joe Smith and, and the shutout of Jean Pascal are, are aging a lot better now. Oh, based yeah. On, uh, recent performances for both those guys. So, you know, I think that Bevel, um people were very high on him and then sort of uh, he lost his luster a bit after some of those fights. But I think we need to remember that he's a very, very, very good fighter. Yeah. Technically. Uh, one of the best. Him against Canelo would be a tremendous fight. Absolutely. Uh, but that wraps it up for this episode of the Fight City Podcast. Thanks so much, Zach, for joining us today. Um, I hope everyone a happy Thanksgiving, and I encourage everyone to check out thefightcity.com for great updates and stories on the fight game. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Alden. It was fun.